morning, with God's help, we will be considering um, mostly one verse, um, but we will mention uh, the verse previous to it uh, to kind of get a full grasp or a full sense of what is being presented to us here in Revelation. So Revelation this, this morning, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 22 and verse 13, hear the word of the Lord. Uh, This is God's faithful and true word. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you have blessed us now with being in your presence. You have blessed us, Lord with sight to see, with ears that hear, with minds that understand. And now, dear God, bless the preaching of your word and bless those who receive it. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning we are considering verse 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Here, as the Apostle John is led by the Spirit to bring the final book of the canon to a close, the Lord Jesus in this final chapter proclaims three times that he is returning and that he will return quickly. In the first proclamation, our Lord declares a blessing to the one who heeds the words of this book. That is found in verse 7. The Lord says, For those who hear and believe and obey that which was revealed in this book, there is a special blessing that belongs to you. And the second proclamation, our Lord declares that he is coming quickly and promises that when he returns, he will have rewards with him, rewards that he will render to every man according to their deeds. Christ will examine all men and render unto them rewards or punishments according to the deeds which Christ will judge. Second um, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 The Apostle Paul declares there that Christ will judge the living and the dead. Romans 14.10, St. Paul also reveals that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It was brought to my attention, and this is in connection to uh, last week's sermon. It was brought to my attention that one of the best arguments for Christ knowing the day and the hour of his return is that he will judge all men. Now watch this. All men will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and Christ will judge all men based upon their deeds. Now, the angels will not present these deeds to our Lord on some kind of scroll so that he might read of all of our deeds and then discover what we have done and then judge thereafter. Does that make sense? On the contrary, Christ knows all the deeds of men, knows every thought, uh, knows every act, knows every intention of our heart. Christ knows them all immediately 
and with perfect knowledge. I say immediately because when we go to heaven, we're not going to be standing in a long line waiting to be judged or waiting for our turn. Uh, Christ knows all things immediately all at once. He does not need to be informed of all things. He knows all things. Every thought again, every intention of the heart. And this is a weightier matter than the day and the hour of his return. So, therefore, if Christ knows all the deeds of men and will judge men accordingly, then Christ knows less important things, such as the day and hour of his return. I think that's a great, a great argument for Christ knowing the day and hour of his return. The question that arises here in the 22nd chapter is not that Christ will return. We believe that and we hold fast to that. We believe Christ will return. Uh, it is, it is also not the question of whether or not Christ will judge all men. We believe that all men will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Um, a side note, Christians will also not be judged based upon good deeds and bad deeds. When you stand before God, God's not going to see, as a Christian, if, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. I mean this, that when you stand before God, none of your sins will be recounted to you. That's what I mean. When you stand before God, no sin of the Christian will be recounted to them. Rather, the Christian will only be rewarded for their good deeds. The good deed or the reward of God is God. Well, what is God going to reward you with? God is going to reward you with himself. The blessed vision of God. Back to the main point. Christ, um, after declaring his quick return... And the rewards that he shall render then declares that he is, now this is important, and here's where we're going, that Christ is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen. Christ declares that he is the first and the last. Amen. That he is the beginning and the end. Uh, this is not the first time that we have heard this title, Alpha and Omega. When we first began our journey through the Apocalypse of John, the Father himself that's important. The Father himself declares at the, at the end of John's prologue, John uh, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, the Father declares that he is the Alpha and the Omega. In Revelation chapter 21, the Father, 21.6, the Father again declares that he is the one who sits on the throne, uh, who, who is making all things new, and he proclaims in verse 6, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The Father does this. The Father also says that he is the beginning and the end. Now watch what, what happens. The Father has declared that he is Alpha and Omega. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, the risen, glorified Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son, calms the fears of John the Apostle as he lovingly says to the Apostle, don't be afraid. He goes this. He says, I am the first and the last, the living one. Interesting. Once again, the risen Lord proclaims to the church of Smyrna that the message that they are receiving is from the one who is, and he says, the first and the last. Uh, the one who was dead and has come to life. And now, here in the final chapter of the final verses of the final book of the Holy Scriptures, the victorious, risen, ascended, and glorified Lord Jesus Christ brings the proclamation of the Father about himself and the proclamation of the Son about himself brings them together in one proclamation. The Lord says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. 
Well, our, our question this morning, uh, Brother Dustin asked me, what is your what is your your approach to scripture when you preach? How are you preparing sermons? Let, let me let you into the, the secret of my study. I just ask a bunch of questions. So the question that we have here is simply this. Why is the Lord asserting to himself this title at this particular point? Why Alpha and Omega? First and last, beginning and end, why here and now? The last verses of the last chapter of the last book, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am Alpha and Omega. For what reason? Also, what does this have to do with our Lord proclaiming that there is a reward that he is bringing with him when he returns? It is to those two questions that uh, we will ask the Lord to help us. So we have asked the Lord to help us this morning. The main point of this sermon being the Son of God, who is eternal, with, the God, with God the Father, will judge all men. If you want a title, the eternal Son shall judge all men. The eternal Son shall judge all men. Number one, Christ the Son is eternal. Number one, Christ the Son is eternal. May God give me grace to not rush through this, this portion. Here in the 13th verse, our Lord asserts that he is Sharing the divine title of Alpha and Omega, first and last, beginning and end, with the Father. Christ brings the the uh, title proclaimed by the Father, that he is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, <clears throat> together with the title that Christ has proclaimed for himself, first and last. In bringing the title of the Father together with the title of the Son... Christ is declaring this, that just as the Father is eternal and will and all will stand before his throne and be judged. So to Christ, the son of God is eternal and we shall stand before his throne and be judged. Now, there are not two thrones. There is one throne, one for the father that is shared by Son and Spirit, there is one throne. One throne upon which the Holy Trinity resides, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Stephen was being stoned, he was given a vision of heaven, seeing the glory of God, and standing at the right hand of the Father on high was the Lord Jesus Christ. In the first verse of Revelation chapter 22, John is showed a river, the river of water of life, uh, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Christ is enthroned there with the Father on high. Christ, though, is not saying that he is the Father. Are you with me? So, so Christ is, is taking this, this title from the Father, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last, and then uniting it to his own title, first and last. But Christ is not saying that he is the Father. Are you with me? Uh, we confess that there are three subsistences, Father, Word, as our confession says, and Holy Spirit of one substance, power and eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Listen to this. All infinite with beginning, therefore, without beginning, there, therefore, but one God. Who is not, who is divine in nature, excuse me, who is divine in nature and being. The Father is not the Son. 
The Son is not the Father. The Holy Spirit is not the Son, and so on and so forth. We confess one God, three divine persons, distinct but one. Here, in the final verses of the last chapter, of the last book of God's holy word, Christ assures all men that they will stand before Him, the one true God, Alpha and Omega, and they will be judged by Him according to their deeds. We sang a moment ago that... Um, the Savior saves us from the divine judgment of the, of the, of the judge. We say, we sang that a moment ago. As if the Savior is distinct from the divine judge. The Savior is the judge. And this is important for us to, to keep in mind. And, and it, is, it is also what Christ is driving at here in the final chapter. He is the one who is before all time, who has caused all things to be. And the one from whom or of whom we will all stand before. Just as the Father is eternal and exists in a timeless eternity. Watch this word. So too the word has existed in that same timeless eternity. Christ says that he is the Alpha and the Omega. First and last. Beginning and end. Alpha, as you know, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Uh, while Omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And yet we confess that in God there is no beginning and there is no end. Christ, the Son of God, is not saying that he has a beginning and that he has an end, but that he is the cause of the beginning Amen. and that he is the cause of the end. Amen. He is arguing towards, and I don't even want to say arguing, I am arguing. Christ is declaring, and I am arguing for the point, Christ is declaring that we will stand before the one who has caused the beginning and who has caused the end, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was one with the Father and one with the Spirit. I'm doing this, I think, kind of what Pastor Isaiah said this morning, so that, yes, we will have a tighter Christology. Yes, that we will have a tighter view of Christ. Let's build this. Um, let's build on this basic understanding of Christ, the Son of God, being being eternal and the one uh, of whom we will stand before and be judged with from God's holy word. Let's go to John chapter one, if you would. John chapter one. If, if I'm a little um, herky jerky in my presentation here in my in my sermon, it's because the even the present the presentation here on the computer has changed. It, it looks different than what I'm used to as well. So excuse my. Um, Turkey jerkiness, if you will, of this sermon. John chapter 1 and verse 1. The opening verse of John's gospel, if you're there, is a profound statement about the mystery of the Trinity, which is the highest mystery of the Christian faith. In fact, John, by the inspiration of the Spirit, always seemed to, seems to be revealing and exalting the Holy Trinity in his writings. And also kind of targeting Christ through this as well. Uh, Aquinas makes the point that John is known as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And it is therefore, Aquinas would say, reasonable that God would choose or that Christ would choose him, his close friend, to reveal the depths of the Trinity and also to pen down these truths for the church. So John begins with John chapter 1. A familiar pattern of words. John chapter 1 and verse 1. John says, in the beginning was the word. 
There is only one other place in the whole of Scripture that begins in such a way in the beginning. Uh, Of course, you know that the other place is Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, which reads, in the beginning, God. That phrasing is very important. John begins, in the beginning was the word. But he's borrowing from Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In John's gospel, however, there's a different order that he that has been used so that he might reveal the what has eternally been before the heavens and earth began to be. Follow this. John, rather than saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, John says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, John 1.1. 1, 1. The Word was God. Now, I encourage you to go back and listen to Pastor Isaiah's sermons in Christology for a, a fuller consideration of the eternal Word. But John is making the point that the Word is before beginning, And also present with God when beginning was established. God the Father, that is. John says that the word was present before creation of all things. The word was present, now now watch this, with God. In a kind of personal unified sense. A personal unified sense. And then John takes it up. To his highest notch by emphatically saying, almost as if it's a crescendo, and the word was God. So John's saying a few things. The word is present before the creation of all things. The word is with God in a kind of personal sense. As all things are being created. And in fact, the word is God. Not just present in eternity, not just present along with God, but because the word existed before the creation of all things, that the word also, in being with God, participated in the creation of all things. And the reason for this is because the word is in fact God. John 1, 2 says, he, that's, if you're, if you're, paying attention or taking notes, he is a very important word. He says, not the word this time, but he. He was in the beginning with God. What does it mean, let's do this, what does it mean to be in the beginning with God? Well, we know Genesis 1-1, don't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is arguing, and I imagine a number of things could be argued that are above my pay grade, but... John is arguing that at least two things are obvious. That the word was, when nothing else was, present with God when all things came to be. Are you following me? Okay. And then secondly, John goes from calling the word God, who is a person, to then personalizing the word even further and calling the word he and him. Word is a very abstract thing, right? You don't don't say... um, Hello. And that hello word becomes a hymn. Right? The words that you speak don't take on person, personhood, do they? They're just words. And yet John says that the word that was present with God before creation of all things is not just a spoken word. It is actually a person. And he personalizes this word by calling him he. 
Okay. But John doesn't just keep calling the word, word. He then, he'll go further. But he continues to explain how the word was with God, as God in the beginning, and shows the part that the word played in participating in the creation of all things. He simply, he's, he, the word is not simply standing by, this person, this person of the word. He's not just simply standing by and applauding as God creates all things, is he? John says in John 1, 3, all things came into being through him. Now remember, him is the word. All things came into being through him. Who? The word. Who was with God. Who was slash is God. All things came into being through him. All things were created by this word. Amen. John says, yeah. Verse 3. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. John is, is continually driving this even further and higher. The word was and was with God and is God. And there isn't anything made that has been made that the word was not a part of, of in making that thing be. Amen. Yeah? John doubles down. All things were made through the word who is eternally God, with God, as God, one with God. And there isn't anything that exists apart from him, the word. Amen. Calling it into existence. The word does this. And then John triples down. Verse 4. Or quadruples down. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The eternal word who has always been, has always existed with God as God, caused all things to be and even has given breath to man. You see what John is doing? Man exists by and through the eternal word who is one with God as God the Father. John is being used to make clear what has always been present, but it's been um, present in a vague manner. Oftentimes the question is asked, is the Holy Trinity revealed in the Old Testament? Well, I wonder what your answer is. Well, the answer is yes. The Holy Trinity is, to some degree, hidden and obscure. The Apostle Paul might say, it's seen there but through a glass dimly. Nevertheless, the second person of the Trinity has always been present and is revealed in the Word. Here, John is being used to reveal that the second person of the Trinity was actively involved in the creation of all things. Now, you should be asking me how. How is the Word involved in the creation of all things? How is the Word um, the reason why, we, why all things exist and why humans also uh, live and have our being? How? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. You know the verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 3. Then God said. There he is. Then God said. Let there be light and there was light. As you know, this pattern is repeated seven more times in the creation, of, in the creation story. God said seven times. Let the expanse in the midst of the, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and it was so. Moses is led to reveal that God did not, I can't snap very good, 
snap his fingers in order to call all things into existence. That's not how things were made. For those uh, older timer people, uh, God did not, like I dream of genie, put his hands together and nod his head, causing all things to come into existence. Rather, Moses reveals that God created all things by way of a divine speech. It was by speaking. Not just a word, but a divine word of wisdom that all things came to be. By this divine speech, or as John would say, by the word who was with God and who was God, all things were made and not a thing was made that has not been, that has not come from the word. Psalm 33, 5, by the word of the Lord. The heavens were made. I mentioned earlier that John takes the word and then little by little begins to personalize the eternal word. First by calling the word God. Then by calling he, him, him, he. And then in verse 14, John goes even further and says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And, and we saw the word's glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And it almost seems as though John is, in this first chapter, beside himself. Because he begins to, to just go on and on and on about this word. Who has assumed our flesh until he finally gets to the point where he gets to, to show us his name. The name of the one who has assumed our flesh. He says in verse 17, you see the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth were revealed, realized Amen. through Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. Who is the word? Who is he who was with God and who was and is God? Who is this divine word by which all things were made and by which not a thing that has been made exists apart from? Who is the word that is assumed our flesh? Full of glory, full of grace, full of truth. Who is this one who is the only begotten of the Father? Because he has come from the Father. John declares in his gospel, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the eternal word or wisdom of God through whom all things have been made and by whom all things exist. John is, I think, blessed. To be used in this last book of God's revelation to his people. To pen the words of Christ who says with absolute certainty. With a kind of verily, verily. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. John would not hesitate for one second if you were to ask him. Is Jesus Christ God? He would say he is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He is the first and the last. John would say he is the word through whom all things have come to be. John would say that it is because of the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, that you have life in your body. He would not be ashamed of that. John would not for one second be bashful about calling the Lord Jesus Christ God. Christ, the eternal son, the word through whom all things were made, is therefore all of that to say. 
He's therefore not out of line when he asserts to himself the divine title of Alpha and Omega. The one who is the cause of all things. The one who has called all things to be and the one who will bring all things to a completion. The one who will make all things new. Christ is not out of line when he takes to himself that title that the Father has proclaimed about himself. Christ can say, yes, and I too am Alpha and Omega, the one who is one with the Father and Spirit, the one who is perfectly and eternally timeless along with the Father. Christ is not out of line to say, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In light of this context, Christ is proclaiming that the promise of his return, the, the quick will return, is not just a promise of his return, but it is a promise of his judgment that we will all stand before his judgment seat, not the judgment seat of the father where the son is standing by and say, no, father, don't harm them. But Christ will also be and is reigning upon that throne along with father, son, uh, along with father and spirit. And he will judge all men. Now, how does this help us in light of this context? Let's get to our second point. Christ is judge. He says, behold, I am coming quickly in verse 12. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I'd like you to notice if you're looking at your Bible, and, and I hope that you would. Notice where verse 12 and 13, notice where they are positioned. In verse 10, our Lord uses the angel to announce that this book must not be sealed because the time is near. The righteous, he goes on to say in verse 11, the righteous will hear and heed the words of this book while the wicked will continue to harden their hearts. Christ will return. Uh, he will. Uh, this book is not to be sealed. The righteous will hear and believe the wicked will, will harden their hearts. And then Christ says, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Followed by what we have just considered. The authority that he has to claim that he will judge the deeds of man. Because he is the eternal one. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What's the point? Amen. The point is this. It is a call from our Lord. Who has existed before all things. That before he brings all things to an end. To bring judgment upon the entire world. That he is lovingly. Mercifully. Yeah. Kindly. Calling all men to turn to him. and yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Said, that, said to the seven churches who represent the church for all time. I know your deeds. He is the one who is, whose eyes are like blazing fire. Who knows all men and who will judge all men. Again, Second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each man may receive what is due to him. According to what he has done in the body. Whether good or evil. This last verse. Is a final call. From the triune God. Who is showing mercy to all men. Come. The Lord Jesus says in the following verses, the Lord will say, come, let the one who is thirsty come take from the water without cost. 
Come and be cleansed. Come and have your sins removed. Come and have Christ make you clean. Christ is calling all who hear Him to come forth to Him now. In this last hour, we are living in the last and final age. And for that entire period, for this entire period, Christ is calling all of us to come to Him, to live. He knows and sees all of our sin. And He's also come that our sins might be wiped away. Christ has come so that by His stripes we would be healed. Healed of the disease of unrighteousness, of sin. Jeremiah 31, 34 and Hebrews 8, 12 both declare... I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Amen. Amen. Saints of God, He is calling us. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. When we stand before Him, He will not recount our sins. Praise be to God for that. When we stand before Him, He will not say, back when you were 30 years old, you did this. But then you repented. But then when you were 31... You went back and did the same sin all over again. He will not ask you to give a reason why. Not if you are in Christ. Instead, the scriptures declare that he who is love does not keep a record of wrongs. Isaiah thirty-eight seventeen. The prophet says, you have cast my sins behind your back. You all remember David's celebrating God's forgiveness when he declares in Psalm 103 and verse 12 that God will cast all of our sins as far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And Christ is here at the very end of the last chapter, in the last verses of the last book, lovingly. Don't take that for granted. Mercifully, graciously, calling all men to turn to Him and live. All men, young and old, turn to Christ and live. Come and take freely the water that is without cost. Come to the One who has paid all of our debt to set us free. The Gospel is free, dear ones. The Gospel is free. Pastor Isaiah said it this morning, we have come to worship God because He has freely given us salvation. The gospel is free. We should never wake up on a Lord's Day Sabbath and say, this is costing me so much, I've got to wake up today. I I wish I could sleep in. The gospel has set you free from sin and death. We should never, never, never feel as though we are giving God something. When we wake up to come to worship, God has given us everything. We owe Him everything. He has given to us the water that is without cost. He is saying, come, come and drink. Come and see how good. He knows all men. He has created all men. By Him and through Him all things are. And at this last moment, which today could be our last. He is saying to us, come and drink freely from the water of life. Come, he says in Matthew 25, 34, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. When Christ returns, he will render to each of us that which is according to our deeds. 
the unbeliever will not receive any good. The unbeliever, in terms of reward, but each one will receive according to what is due to them, good and evil. For the unbeliever, punishment. What is the greatest punishment that the unbeliever will receive? They will not see God. The unbeliever, young one, listen to me, older one, listen to me, you who have ears to hear, those who don't believe in God, you won't see God in the end. I don't know if we if we realize how how absolutely terrifying that is. We won't see him. Sometimes we emphasize the hell, the fire, uh, the the screams, uh, the 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 weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is because they won't see God. God will never be their delight. Uh, knowing absolute goodness, they will never know. Knowing absolute happiness, they will never know. Satan is attempting to draw us to other things to show us that there is that there are happinesses found somewhere else that you don't need happiness and goodness found in God. Uh, let me tell you, dear one, there is no happiness outside of God. There is no joy, no goodness outside of God. For the one who does not believe, they will know an eternity absent of goodness, absent of happiness, absent of knowing these things that are only found in God. The Lord Jesus Christ is patient with us, isn't he? Come now. Come before it's too late. Come before he comes. And taste of his goodness. See that there is no greater joy. There is no better happiness. There is no greater delight than that which is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Come to him today. Come to him now. Parents, I I, I know that sometimes we, we worry about our younger children and we wonder, are they getting this? Are they, are they uh, believing in Christ? Will they miss out? May I encourage you, dear parents, be diligent in your in your evangelism to your children. Don't just bring them to church, parents. Please, don't just bring them to church. Tonight, open your word with them and pray with them. Tomorrow, open your word with, with them and pray with them. Ask them daily, is there anything that I can pray with you about? If, they are, if you are seeing that they have not yet turned to Christ, share with them the urgency of, of why they need to believe now. I can tell you, sitting with the men this past week, both two men sharing, both of us in an accident. And I don't mean to keep bringing him up. You just don't know, though. You just never know. We go on with our lives as if it's going to continue. And Jesus said that that's the way it's going to be when he returns. It will be like the days of Noah. Men will keep doing what they're doing, thinking that life is just going to keep going on as it always has been. And it doesn't. Until, until it doesn't. We will marry and give in marriage. We will be working in the field. We will be doing all the things that we normally do without a second thought that at any moment Christ returns and these things come to an end. Are we expecting and longing for his return? And have you stopped praying? Come, Lord Jesus, come. It was only a week and a half or so ago. Have you stopped already? Has it become something you've, you, you've now forgotten to do? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. 
We pray this so that we might live in a, in a type of anticipation of his return. And in living in a type of anticipation of his return, we won't be caught off guard then. That's right. Come now. Amen. Come today. Yeah. While today is still today. He will bring rewards. He will bring rewards on the day of judgment. The wicked will be punished, but the righteous will be rewarded. If you are in Christ, then glory to God. Glory to God. You are anticipating that that glorious return of Christ and joy that you now know in spurts. But that is yours. You will know in, in, in its fullness and it will never end. If you've already come, then praise God. Rejoice. That you are one of the ones who has already come to Christ. Rejoice because God has shown mercy to you. And do not for one second take that for granted. Do not do not for one second live life as if, yes, I'm saved and big deal. It is a very big deal. It is the biggest deal of all deals that Christ has saved you. Look around your life. You met with him this past week during Thanksgiving, didn't you? How many do you know that are just meeting in your little family that are not saved and yet you are? God has rescued you of all people in all the world. Why you? Why has he shown mercy to you? Why has he shown to give his kindness and his goodness to you? Why is it that you can hold fast to this promise that you will reward, you'll be rewarded with everlasting goodness, everlasting joy, everlasting happiness? Why you? Do not for one second ever take that for granted. Lord, why me and not him? Why me and not her? Why do I get to? Well, don't take it for granted now that you realize it again. Don't take it for granted now that you know it's yours. Brother David works at a, at a restaurant. Every single day there are unbelievers coming in. And of all those people, Brother David, you are one of the ones that God chose to show his mercy to. Don't take it for granted. When you're driving down 24th Street to go to work, don't take it for granted. The days will come to an end one day and, and that that will come to an end when you will see his face and everything that you put your hope in will now be before you and it will never end. Just don't take it for granted. Amen. Don't take his mercy for granted. It's not mansions he's giving us, is it? It's not land he's giving, it, giving us, is it? It's not men and women as the Muslims will say. It's God himself. God himself is what he is. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. You know this, but don't let the fact that you know this make you less passionate about it. Allow the Lord to give you such a sense of gratitude and thankfulness that he is going to allow you to see his face. Now think of the people that you, you just wish you could see their face one more time. You see them in your dreams sometimes. My mom will sometimes say, I dreamed my dad. I dreamed dad last night. I saw him. Mm-hmm. Little joy that she got. Little, there's a little giggle she says what she, that she gives when she says, I saw, I dreamed of dad last night. <laughs> so sweet. What about your heavenly father, son, and spirit? Imagine the little joy that we see that we think of when we see when we see someone whom we love in our dream, we see their face and we go, there they are. God has said, you will see him. Mm-hmm. Revelation 22, 4, and they will see his face. 
I don't even know what this, this thing's threw me off this whole time. We will see his face. We will delight in him. He will be and is our eternal reward. And, and, and we'll never grow tired of it. We won't go, where's all the animals? Any fishes here? Hey, where's the beach? This may be, and I pray to God that it will be. No, let me say it this way. For some of us, this is the first time that when speaking about heaven and the life to come, for some of us, the emphasis has been on God and God alone. For many of us, we've been raised to believe that heaven is about green pastures and you getting to ride a lion while holding a little lamb. For some of us, we've been taught that heaven is all about walking on streets that are made of pure gold and living in a giant mansion. And then we begin to devise things that will be inside of our mansion. I'm going to have the biggest bed. My bed's going to be a water bed. And in my backyard, there's going to be a basketball court. We have been taught to believe that when we go to heaven, we're going to just meet our best friends. We're going to taste the best of food. And then we throw Christ in there as, as the kind of garnish on the side. And then Christ will be there too. I said this to some of the men, and I'm going to close with this. That I heard a minister say that when we go to heaven, we will reign there for a thousand years. And some of us, because we'll be able to, and it's a new earth, we'll be able to, to transport here and there however we want. We'll say, hey, did you try that food in Korea? And we will zoom our way over to Korea and try that food. And then someone else will say, have you tried that food in, in Los Angeles? The tacos there are amazing. And we will zoom our way there. And, and you should have seen the faces of the people in the congregation who loved, who were eating that up. Saints of God, that is all, that is all feeding our flesh. The joy of heaven is God. What about the trees? They've, they've met, they've reached their full, the, the fulfillment of their existence to, to point us to God. What about the sun and moon? We won't need them. What about the sea? It has reached the fulfillment of its, of its reason for existing to point us to God. When you are with God, the reward that, that Christ will bring will be himself. And it will be greater than any food from any country. Greater than any ocean that you could ever swim in. Greater than any tree that you could ever climb or sit under. Greater than any fruit that any tree could ever produce. We will partake of the tree of life who is God himself. We will drink from the water who is God himself. We will enjoy the feast before God which is delighting in Christ the Lamb. There is nothing that will ever be able to compare with what we have in our triune God. Christ is not out of line to declare that he is the Alpha and the Omega because by him and through him all things were made. And when he returns, he will render to each man according to their deeds. I pray that you are not on the side of those who will not ever see his face, but that you are on the side of those who will not only see his face, but in seeing his face will find perfect delight and happiness in him for all time. Amen. Let us pray.